I think that I'm one of the most like idealistic people that I know. And that's like, that's a source of great fulfillment, but it's also a source of great disappointment because you're like, you have this constant curiosity and expectation and then the reality doesn't live up to what you've imagined. Mm -hmm. If I'm imagining, it's happening. It's insane. Mm -hmm. So the thrill and the buzz, like the planning is almost usually better than when things happen, not sexually speaking, (laughs) but traveling, for example. I can get so disappointed. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovic, uh, sexual self-pres for the five-wing, four-five-eight trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pres sexual nine with one nine seven four trifix. What up? It's Emika. I'm an eight-wing seven, sexual self-pres with eight five four fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-pres social three wing four with a three six nine trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe us on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Well, finally, we have the the last fucking type (laughs) interview that we're going to do for a long time. (laughs) That everybody's been asking for. Yeah, I'm fucking sick of having like... Saving the best for last. Yeah, right. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Nobody cares about (laughs) seven. Yeah, it's either that or no one cares. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing is, nobody mistypes at seven. If you think you're a seven, you're a fucking seven. (laughs) (laughs) So it's I don't know. There's some crazy nines. You know these nines. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Always the nines. Welcome to the Big Hormone Enneagram. We're here today with our type sevens who... We finally were able to get on a podcast. But before we get into introductions, I'd like to say real quick, very soon, we're going to do a recap call about the type interview series that we've been doing. And if you've been following along and you have questions and comments that you'd like us to cover, hit us up on Instagram at Big Hormone, slide into our DMs and send us your questions, your comments, and and we'll cover them on on that episode. And if you haven't been following us on Instagram at Big Hormone, get your shit together. Follow us on Instagram. All right. So I'm Fernanda, sexual social, seven wing six, seven, four, one, trifix. And uh, where people can find me, uh, I'm on Instagram. My name is Fernanda Spinelli, S-P-I-N-E-L-L-I. And uh, I graduated in psychology. Then I post-graduated in transpersonal psychology. I worked with that for a long time as a psychotherapist, but not fully happy <laughs> with that, I must say, because... I really felt I couldn't create. And simultaneously, I've always taught languages, you know, and I love writing. It's really what I like doing the most. So lately, I've been really focusing on this. And I was going to publish a book, but then coronavirus came. It's ready and very soon it's going to... What's the book on? Well, it's poetry. Cool. Uh, Yeah. And you, you live in Brazil, right? Yes, I do. I'm Brazilian and I live in Brazil. Um, and my name is Colleen. I'm a social self-pres seven with a six, seven, nine, heart in dispute. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Graham Crab. I almost never post on social media. We got to let the creeps know where you're at. so they Yeah. Can- <laughs> yeah. And I uh, just finished law school. So going into practicing law, hopefully if I pass the bar. Colleen has uh, been like a long time friend of mine, and she is one of the co-conspirators who introduced the Enneagram to me. Cool. And Fernanda, I know, um, well, we didn't really know each other well, but I knew of her like 10 years ago on mm-hmm. Catherine's page, Enneagram. Catherine Favre? Yeah. Um, yeah. Back when Catherine was highly involved and she was doing like an Oscar, type the Oscars thing. And that's actually when Mm -hmm. I was like, what the hell is this? Like, what is this? And so one of the few people I saw posting heavily on that on that page was Fernanda. I thought I was a four then. And it took me a long time to realize I wasn't a long time. (laughs) Really. What what made you realize that you weren't? You know, I was, it was really, I can't remember vividly. I was in the living room, trying to work, and I was being bombarded by 
you know, ha happy ideas of what I was going to do in the, you know, in the future on the weekend. And, but it was way too much. She was blocking me from producing. And then I, I thought, what if I'm a fucking seven? What if, <laughs> what, what if I'm a sexual seven? Because like, it was really a lot, you know, uh, I, I was really, really being entertained by that. And I was, <laughs> and then I thought, no, no, I can't be. I'm, I would have had sex with more people if I was a seven. <laughs> I would I wouldn't wear black as often as I do if I you know, if I were a seven, I wouldn't be so sensitive, I wouldn't be as deep as I consider myself to be. She considers and, yeah. herself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have bad taste or maybe worse taste. So oh, misconceptions, right? So and then, then I didn't realize I was a seven. I just had a glimpse. And it took me more two years to, I don't know how, I just started crying. I just had like the click and cried. It was devastating. I think that's a, a really, you bring up a lot of really good points about how seven is stereotyped. Yeah. And all like, the, you know, like, I mean, people that really ought to know better that have been teaching the Enneagram for a long time will teach and understand the seven is like, lighthearted and fun all the time yeah and uh not not having bad feelings for very long and being mm -hmm. insensitive or like you said like let's fuck everybody you know mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean we all like can find examples of every type that sort of lives out a really crude caricature but yeah like sevens are very sensitive and uh sevens have a lot of depth and feeling and dimensionality and it sort of speaks to what an Enneagram type is because it's not like like you know when we think of a type we just think of a kind of person in a vague way mm -hmm. but that a, a personality type is a defense mechanism mm -hmm. it's, it's a way of handling yeah. things and it's not a measurement of your depth it's a it's a measurement of of how you cope with certain things and I mean in the last couple of years I always bring this up when I teach is that there have been a lot of very high profile suicide by type sevens uh, mm -hmm. like celebrities. Mm -hmm. yep. Some of them you can tell were spiraling out of control and suffering, but a lot of them you couldn't always tell. But you know, obviously they're they're feeling something incredibly deeply and very sensitive to something and feeling unable to cope with something. And it's like it's not because they're shallow people. Yes, definitely. Well, I usually disappear from people. The sadder I feel, the less mm -hmm. people see. And it's not because I want to sustain an image. It's just because I don't want to bother people. Right. Right. I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, I think that's a seven thing is that there's some unconscious obligation to the collective that you're supposed to keep things up. Yes. Ever since I was really little, I really had this super ego message telling me like you have to really be a presence of light and make people feel good. And it's it's insane. Yeah, I, I was just going to like add on to that, that it's it's like the presence of light thing, but also just like not detracting, like not being a burden, mm. like in no way being burdensome. And like the only, the, the thing that you need and are supposed to contribute is good stuff. And if you yeah. have any bad stuff, then that, that's not worth contributing. Exactly. That's interesting. Precisely. It's almost two-ish in a weird inverted way. Yeah. It, well, it sort of sounds like the right and wrong of one going on, like the black yeah, and good white point. of one. True. Yeah. I also really related to what you said about like kind of being distracted by like your anticipation. Like I think for me, anticipation is almost like a drug. Like mm -hmm. once I start like anticipating and getting excited about something, like I can just ride that. And then the thing actually happens and it's like, it requires a lot for me for it to live up to the anticipation of it and for me to not just immediately jump to the next thing huh. that I'm like excited about. How does that play out for you in, in social in terms of yeah she gets very team. excited to see me. <laughs> <laughs> we know John. Of course. You are love the gift, it after all. And she's let down every single time. I know, I know. Major disappointment. <laughs> Speaking from a really strictly like social self pres perspective, like for me what John was talking to earlier is that like kind of sense of purpose and like contribution. And it's really easy for me to like change the channel on like what I think that I should be like contributing in the moment based on like what 
what is going on or what sparks my interest in that moment. So I don't have that like ability to sustain it as much mm. um, because I can be really distracted. So like I'm in law school for environmental law, but I have done like almost everything but environmental law. Like some of my jobs have been related to that, but I like wrote this paper on like privacy ethics because I was like really interested in that. And so I haven't like had that kind of sustained focus. And I think that's because so I get, I can just get excited about like so many different things hmm. and I'll just like jump on that train for however long it's fun. <laughs> what, I, what I've noticed about Colleen and you can correct me of course, uh, but like knowing you that like you like studied like environmental science and you did all like Peace Corps. And but there was always this like, sense of wanting to do something but like as soon as you sort of like start to focus in on something that you wanted to do that you thought would be like useful to the planet it would kind of change like i, I always got the like the, got the sense that like i'd be like what is colleen doing now <laughs> 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 i don't know like it was it was hard for me to pin down what the fuck you were doing because it always seemed like oh well, i'm doing this and now i'm doing this program to do this but it would always kind of change yeah, I mean, and I think it's, like, part of that is, like, the further into something I get, the, like, less exciting it is. I don't know. I don't know if that's, like, the right word, but it's, like, not wanting to, like, dive into something completely and, like, close out the other options of, like, well, what if I am interested in something that's not related? <laughs> Possibilities <laughs> and options is a big deal with seven. I've got a secondary seven fix, and I can just get high on the possibilities of multiple different things you know, and never do the thing or any of the yeah. things. Yeah. How does that uh, show up for you, Fernanda, in the, your sexual attraction drive, the sort of pattern of anticipation and getting excited and, and then maybe being disappointed when it actually shows up? Well, there's a lot of imagination at play. You know, it's really almost as if, if I'm imagining, it's happening. It's insane. Mm. So the thrill and the buzz like the planning is almost usually better than when things happen, not sexually speaking, but <laughs> traveling, for example. I can get so disappointed when I get to the place and, huh? Like, you know, when I went to Disney, like I was a teenager, like, oh, I can't believe because it's just like that. You know, it's material. And <laughs> it's not free. <laughs> it's not free. It's bound to matter in time and space. <laughs> I really don't know what I imagined, really. Yeah, but I relate to what she was saying that um, with the options things, like even professionally, um, well, I have three different professions going on. And I always feel that if I stick to one, I would be betraying myself somehow. Mm. That makes sense. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I just finished law school, like, you know, a month ago. And already I'm like, well, maybe I should just get a forestry degree. <laughs> you know and like that thought is already entering my mind of like this isn't going to be satisfying like what else should i do i want to say a little bit about sevens for the, the folks listening just because most people learn about sevens is that zany type that is <laughs> fun loving and likes variety and uh you know is always positive and there's a kernel of something you know truthful in there but it's obviously much more complicated you know so sevens are the um they kind of represent the versatility and freedom of the awake mind uh they tend to be experience oriented they're spontaneous often they often do have an optimistic uh outlook they love possibilities and there's a there's a way that i've experienced sevens where uh, a lot of people say that sevens avoid negativity. I don't think that's true. I see that at least for, for healthy sevens or secure sevens, that they often try to bring a certain kind of hopefulness to often hopeless or seemingly hopeless situations. It's like kind of like trying to bring the light where there's darkness. And also sevens are very pleasure-seeking, but there can be a way in which they can not avoid negative feelings, but I think giving time for certain, I would call them like, I call them um, limiting feelings. It's not that sevens don't feel negativity and sadness and anger, but when it comes to things like grief and depression and these kind of feeling states that take a long time to unfold, I think creates a lot of anxieties for type seven. And they can try to jump ahead or jump out of the feeling of being trapped in these kinds of, you know, heavy, long passing feelings. And so, uh, you know, sevens have a very 
particular relationship to boredom. You know, there's a lot of anxiety in boredom. And I think I remember Russ and Tim McLean, who's a co-teacher at the Ingram Institute with Russ. Uh, in, he lives in Japan, but he's a type seven. I remember them describing transition objects. So like when a little kid is, uh, you know, like the, when, when, a, when a mother is learning to be, um, to give a kid a little bit of space and the kid's starting to kind of be on its own, not just clinging to mom all the time as an infant, mom will sometimes give the kid a toy or an object to distract the kid so that, you know, they don't get anxious about separating from mom. And this is called a transition object. And in some sense, there is a way that the type seven is looking for and has a kind of um, a struggle with finding inner guidance around what's going to deeply nourish their heart. You know, it's going to really satisfy them. And there's a way in which the psyche gets trained around finding transition objects, different possibilities, different experiences, different people that might be that thing that's going to nourish me. But it's like, what's, what's often not understood about seven is that, you know, we all know six has a hard time being certain in some, some ways. And it's often harder to see where type sevens lack certainty and where that head center, five, six, and seven are head types, where that head center difficulty presents itself in the seven is I don't know what's going to satisfy me. And so a lot of the wanting to try things and to get out of things, it's because I don't want to limit the options that, I, you know, where I might find something satisfying, something nourishing, something that's going to awaken me or bring about that fulfilling experience. And so underneath, the seven's mercurial qualities and, and experience seeking is often a lot of suffering where the heart feels starved. And a lot of the more compulsive behaviors of type sevens are ways in which the heart is trying to be fed, but, but like looking in all the wrong places, not knowing what's going to really feed my heart. And so um, I was wondering if either of y'all have anything that what I just said sparks for y'all. It's really what, what happens, you know, and it's the search is insane, insane. And the, <laughs> the problem is that you get a thrill out of that, you know, because you are there in the balloon and it goes, it doesn't, and, and it kind of, of course, it's the ego, it emulates that fulfillment. Yeah. But when you reach the second chapter, you face the consequences and if you're not really fulfilled, then the, the thing keeps going, going, going on. But for me, the biggest challenge is that it brings a sort of satisfaction. And I don't know if that happens with all types. For example, type six, when they feel anxious, I don't know if they really have fun by feeling that way. But with me, while I'm there, like, wow, wow, you know, like, it can, it feels good. And this is a problem. <laughs> so say more about like what the thrill or the, that, that satisfaction that is a problem. Can you speak more to it being a problem? Yeah, because it's not fulfilling and you end up getting disappointed because there's so much idealism, you know, in my process, you know, so and with, as I was telling you, the imagination and then it's never enough. It feels it's never enough. It feels good, but it's not enough. So it's never totally fulfilling. But then I think, oh, but if I relax, I'm going to get, I'm going to become boring and I'll become dull. And this is a challenge for me. So. Are you saying that the thrill of trying things and anticipating things is on one hand kind of addicting or, you know, it's, there's something you get out of it, but at the same time at the higher cost of still feeling that lack of fulfillment. And that's where the, the, the conflict arises. Yes. Yeah. To build on that, like, I think that I'm one of the most like idealistic people that I know. And that's like, that's a source of great fulfillment, but it's also a source of great disappointment because you're like, you have this constant curiosity and expectation, and then the reality doesn't live up to what you've imagined. Mm -hmm. and so then yeah, you move to the next thing. So this makes me think of type seven as frustration, as a frustration type. I think each of those types have some sort of idealism built in, correct? Yeah, one, you're talking ones, one, fours, four, and seven. sevens. Yes, yes. Yeah, so... What Emika is referring to is object relations theory, and there's three dominant affects in object relations theory, which is frustration, attachment, and rejection. And if you've listened to our past lengthy excavations on the Bermuda Triangle types, nine, three, and six, those are attachment types, but four, seven, one are frustration, and so the dominant affect is frustration. And so uh, four is frustration with both the nurturing figure and the protecting figure. 
So it results in I'm going to push away from the outer world and go inward to find myself. The, the type one is frustration with the protective figure. And part of the role of the protective figure is to create structure and order. And so the, the one psyche is kind of like, well, you didn't do a good enough job, so I'm going to do it myself. And I'm feeling frustrated because the order and the structure and the way things should be is not happening. For the seven, it's frustration with the nurturing figure. And so I didn't get the nourishment. I didn't get the fulfillment. I didn't get the, the thing I needed to feel satisfied. And so I'm going to go out and look for it and find it. And so, yeah, what you guys are both speaking to, I was going to bring up the same point as Emika, is it that I can hear that sort of frustration quality where there's like, I want to taste, but I can't savor. Yeah, it's kind of like, like, I think of seven, maybe at the worst, or like, in average health as like the, the Greek myth of Tantalus, where he had has like all of the fruit and all of the water, but he can't reach or drink any of it. It's kind of like it's there to see and to perceive, but you can't be satisfied by it. That is like a very seven feeling. So when it comes to people that know sevens, like, I mean, you know, often it can seem on the, like, I know you well enough, Colleen, to know when you're <laughs> feeling that frustration, but I think if I didn't know you so well, uh, I wouldn't intuit that you're feeling that, you know, because like, that's sort of a, a dark picture, right? And people don't see that dark quality in seven very often. So like, what's happening there where people might be experiencing the seven as more buoyant or optimistic or positive than maybe they're actually feeling. I think that that has to do with the reframing and the ability to divert from that frustration, like especially the reframing um, that really resonates with me. Like something shitty is happening and I'm feeling deprived, but like, Hey, I can just like do this other thing that will like distract me from that. So when something presents itself as frustrating, the reframing is sort of talking yourself into feeling something different than you're actually feeling? Turning to a different thing. Is it just turning your attention or is it also kind of like giving yourself a talk of, of, of talking yourself out of the state that you're in? I think it's a little bit of both for me. Yeah, for me too, both. Or is it, that, is it a thing where you don't, it's a, like if you're in public or you're around people that you can't allow yourself to put any negative darkness out into the world so you can't you can't process negativity around other people is that a thing i do that a lot i complain a lot <laughs> i don't know if i'm the most well-liked person and can be really critical and yeah okay <laughs> yeah i mean i fight in the supermarket i don't know <laughs> but then it's really like the extreme then i'm really stressed you're also triple I mean, frustration one, four, and seven. So, yeah. I tell people off like you shouldn't be doing that. You know, like for the listeners out there, if you're in Brazil and yeah. you want to fight <laughs> at the supermarket, <laughs> that's something that's probably surprising to me about sevens is um, that that sevens can be surprisingly pretty critical uh, in contrast to how much how enthusiastic they can be that that line, the one does show up that a seven can all of a sudden just be super critical and just go at people. So, no, it feels like a split personality. It ha has happened like a thousand times. Oh, but you seem so easygoing. You seem so nice and loud. You seem like, no, <laughs> you're not. So <laughs> what's going on? I was not faking, you know, in that moment, I was feeling positive and I, you were cooperating. Now you're not cooperating. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great observation because there is, there, like, I find a spectrum of sevens where they can be very attentive and kind and generous. And then there's a certain line that's crossed and suddenly it's like very me first. And it's like, you're no longer either interesting or going along with what needs to happen or moving in the right direction. And suddenly there's like whiplash because this personality has changed so quickly. And it's often, I think, really unexpected uh, coming from, you know, like, like a, a very friendly, buoyant person. All of a sudden it's like really kind of harsh and kind of a, it's somebody coming hard down on you. You know what I'm saying? They're critical. They just, they just get really, all of a sudden really critical. It, it can feel selfish to some degree. It's like, you know, the thing that I want that is might satisfy me isn't happening and you're the cause of it. And I'm going to tell you how you're fucking things up. And it, it gets really one-ish in that kind of way. Like the thing that's supposed to happen right now isn't happening. Yeah, because for me, it feels like the, the, the line has been, 
I drew the line for me, but I didn't say, the, you know, like the limit. And then the person might cross that, whatever limit it is. And then, you know, hey, why did you do that? You shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> but it's not something I state, you know, if you do that or it's just because it seems just so friendly and so amused. Because like, I, I like people, you know, I really like people. I, I find people fascinating most of the time until I get frustrated, <laughs> consciously frustrated. Sevens are jerks. Yeah. Yes. I don't know what y'all are talking about. <laughs> if we leave this call with any conclusion is that people should not like sevens. Mm, they're asses. <laughs> what were you saying, Nancy? Oh, I was just asking if Colleen relates to that. I don't ever go to one so i don't know what that's like <laughs> i think i think in the past like colleen like you know we've we've talked about the nine influence in your personality and yeah. i remember one time like years ago we were like well what if you're actually a nine out of seven and uh it's the like the clearest way that we know that you're seven what's very clear is colleen's lines to five and and one and i mean besides being a head type those directions are very clear in colleen and part of that, I think, is like the social self-pres seven tends to come off as one-ish just because of what that stacking looks like. But I think I have, have uh, a pretty strong line to one. And I think that the, a lot of that has to do with like, and I like you have an idea of the experience that you're going to have. And then I can't remember, I think Emiko is saying something like someone like gets in the way of that experience. And it's like, that's kind of what triggers it for me. Fuck you. They get yeah. the wrath. <laughs> Totally. Like, well, that's not right. But it's like, well, that's not what I wanted is really what it is. So it's just purely selfish. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Framed yeah. as that's not right. <laughs> you're yeah. not, not right that you're getting in the way of my <laughs> own experience. How dare you? <laughs> well, it, considering this line from seven to one, uh, something that I've experienced, I mean, with Colleen, but also other sevens in my life is guilt feeling guilty for being indulgent or feeling guilty for um, sort of running over people sometimes to get what I yeah. want or also feeling guilty because I'm doing what feels good at the moment, not doing what I should be doing. And so there's this like, there's this tension that I've seen a lot of sevens that I don't see described in many places about like where guilt is a, is a, and also mm -hmm. even earlier we're talking about like, I need to be present myself to people in a way that is at least upbeat in some sense. Yeah, I, I relate to that a hundred percent. Um, I thought it was just me. <laughs> you know, I really, I didn't re even think it was really a seven thing, you know. Wow, and I really hurt people that are really important to me, and I upset them. It's devastating. It takes me really uh, days to forgive myself. I'm going to beat myself up endlessly, endlessly. And people forgive me before I forgive myself. So I, I'm really hard on myself, really. So, yeah, that that resonates. Yeah, so I think it's uh, mainly in relationships, but I feel guilty also if, if I'm not doing. I have the sense of mission, like so I don't feel I'm really like running out of time. I'm not doing what I should be doing. Listening to music, I should be reading the book, a book, you know, from beginning to end, instead of like reading a thousand books up until the middle of the book <laughs> and getting bored. But I, I, I feel really guilty. I feel like, what am I doing? with my life. Yeah, I resonate with that. But I think there's also like, so I'm trying to think of like a specific example. So like, my partner was pretty ill for a long time. And for me, that was sort of like, there were a lot of feelings of guilt wrapped up in that because it was um, something that required my my full attention. And if I wasn't able to get like I expected to be able to give that and then when I couldn't, there was like this desire to like punish myself for not being able to like remain buoyant and like still do everything that I would have been doing had that not been the situation. And mm. then there was like guilt for the negative feelings that I was having and like having a hard time expressing. And that would usually end up that sort of like desire to punish would usually end up in like being critical of myself and sometimes like people around me. And sometimes it seems like it would be almost like penance for indulgence. Almost. Right. And it's like, it's like, you go to this place where it's like good things are not deserved they're earned kind of thing which right. yeah and like penance for indulgence too totally i have a good uh seven friend who uh we were just talking about a story earlier tonight uh, my family and i about 
I like in the house I live now, uh, before I lived there, it was like a bunch of people were living there and one of my friends and he, uh, met these dudes at a bar and like Alara and I were like crashing on these couches and he brought these guys in and they ended up like, he was drunk and they were doing all this other stuff. And I was like half asleep and, and they stole a bunch of shit. Like they stole my wallet and phone and my friend's computer. After that, this friend felt so, he's a seven. He felt so guilty. He like stopped drinking for like years. And it was just like, he did a bunch of other stuff. I can't remember, but it was like, like hard hitting the brakes. You know, it was like hard self-restraint to kind of make up for the indulgence of that night and all the ways that it had consequences for his friend. Yeah, that's interesting. That tension between seven and one, uh, which can seem like opposites, but shows up a lot in sevens. And I wonder if this is more apparent for seven wing six than seven wing eight, this sort of uh, guilt around indulgence. I was going to say sixes have that anti-narcissistic gene kind of thing Mm -hmm. that might, and both of you are seven wing six. So a seven wing eight might feel differently about indulging themselves. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. What do you think, David? Seven wing eights uh, seem like they're more critical and I see them sort of as, you know, (laughs) anti-guilt. Yeah, pretty anti-guilt. Well, it Uh, seems like they externalize the one-ishness more than seven yeah. sixes which internalize it more yeah what do you what do you mean by externalize it well like they're they might more criticize you for something you're doing wrong oh okay. i mean yeah. the oh. one the one ish <laughs> thing is to criticize oneself but i think that a lot of that immediately goes through the filter of other person much easier than seven wing six because with that right. six wing there's a little bit of masochism built in and the eight mm-hmm. is avoiding vulnerability, right? Exactly. So it's, it's yep. spewing it out. I relate to both things you're saying, like the outside into the inside, but it might be because I have uh, one in the tri-type. So I do the one also externally, but I still relate more to the masochistic, like blaming myself thing way more. I think seven wing eights can, can really, uh, I feel like, <laughs> seem a lot different than seven wing sixes in the way they, they handle um, other people, just in terms of how mm-hmm. separated they might be from criticism and how forceful they might be uh, in comparison to seven wing sixes. That, that six wing really tempers seven a lot, in my experience. Yeah, they almost sometimes don't look like sevens to me. Oh, yeah. Seven wing sixes. <laughs> I think that when I first figured out my type too, I kind of felt like I was, I was like the discount seven because like you read the descriptions <laughs> and it's like, so fun like really fun loving like really outgoing and I like between the six wing and the social self-pres I was like damn it I don't get any of the like fun impulsiveness like (laughs) I don't know I mean I do I do the dollars for seven (laughs) (laughs) I am stealing that (laughs) that is so funny oh shit (laughs) <laughs> like we got seven. a dollar store seven and a dollar store three <laughs> ruined by your wing and your stacking <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me of when we did the three call uh i think it was katie that was saying that she felt like she was a failure three or something mm-hmm. along yeah, the yeah. worst mm-hmm. three the worst three because she you know had all these factors that made her less like boldly achievement oriented <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she said she said she wasn't. She didn't feel like she was good enough to be a three. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> not three enough to be a three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like there's always one of those types in a number. I can definitely relate to that to some degree. I, I think I can feel pretty useless as an eight. I, I'm very <laughs> yeah. Emika's definitely ex- the useless eight. <laughs> I, I have very very specific use, and it's not really useful to like, the external world in uh, in much of a way. <laughs> doing any grand podcast that's it so one of the things that i wanted to get to is the the role of the instincts because you know like colleen being a social seven so when people hear about like social seven i think that they assume like guys we're all gonna get lit together and and this sort of social butterfly and i think that can happen but um obligation and service is a big part of the social instinct mm-hmm. and, contribution. and contribution and and colleen i was wondering if you could say a few things about about contribution obli- and, and obligation and uh seven and how they come together and how they create conflict 
Well, I mean, I think I've told you before, like, I always kind of feel like I have this sense of duty that doesn't necessarily serve me because it yep. like in, in some ways conflicts with my desire for freedom. But I, I definitely have a really, really strong desire to contribute and, and do something important with my life. And I've always sort of like, if I could just do this, then that would be important. And that would be like meaningful. And that would be satisfying. It would be satisfying to create meaning. Fernanda, how do you uh, how do you experience that sense of like with a sexual instinct? And what's your what's the frustration there? And when and how do they conflict or how they go together with the seven? I think it's really about like the ultimate infatuation, you know. And this is something like because I remember when I mistyped this four that sexual fours were called like infatuation type, and I've always really been totally that's my drug. Not really falling in love, but before falling in love is really that strong attraction and that thing that is you want more. And like when you commit with a person, there's a sense of like, I even have nightmares dating other people because no, maybe with someone else, I could be experiencing something bigger and stronger. And it's, it's so narcissistic, right? It's not love. <laughs> it feels good. Do you so does it, do you end up burning through relationships or does it even get to a relationship point? No, I I do get to the relationship point and I I'm usually not the one to leave. I'm because I I get attached, you know, and I'm really loyal. So what's the but con- there's is- always that sense that that sense that I might be missing out something mm-hmm. stronger. I don't know if that makes sense. It's crazy, yeah. right? No. <laughs> So can you say something about the conflict between attachment and then feeling like that frustration of missing out? I think I rationalize, like I feel that, but then I, you know, put it under the rug because I have that bond with that person, you know, so it's it's a conflict, you know? Right. And also, I wonder if like knowing, like knowing the Enneagram and knowing your type might make you think like, oh, well, that's just me being a sexual seven or that's just me like wanting an out. Like, do you I don't think, feel that? No. no, I don't think so. No, because I, even, even when I thought it was a four, I had, I felt that, you know, so very I'll say this, consciously. Yeah. I'll say this about the sexual sevens that I have noticed that sort of dichotomy of kind of always gotten, getting, having their foot outside the door a little bit, but still being very uh, attached and loyal in their relationships. I see that happen a lot, or at least the one sexual seven that I had a lot of experience with. And I think that says something about sexual types. Um, once they're hooked and into someone, regardless of how they might be feeling that they might be attracted to someone else, um, there can be a sense of just, I'm already like hooked into this thing with someone and it's going to be difficult for, to pull myself away from it. So I, I do see that sort of conflict with sexual sevens of idealizing a love, even though they're still kind of always considering other options. Is that something yeah. you relate to, Fernanda? A hundred percent, yes. And um, really seeing, idealizing, really seeing the best in the person and trying to save that relationship way longer than I should because like, it's not okay today, but I think it's okay. And when I think it's not okay, we're going to make it work. You know, so I end up really in really long-term relationships. And when it ends, I thought, why, 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 why didn't he dump me before? <laughs> why did I do that to him? Because it was not, it was not good. But I, I was convincing myself it, it was good. Is it that you don't want to cause be- pain? You don't want to cause pain by breaking mm-hmm. up? Or, or what is, because I mean, sevens can seem pretty frustrated when they're not getting their way. But it seems like at least with sexual and seven, that. Um, I'm surprised sometimes to see how devoted sexual sevens can be in relationships, given how um, distractible and flighty yeah, they are. I think, I think it's because there is the love and the friendship, and then there is attraction. And at the beginning, these things, they walk together. But at a certain point, you, like, you believe you're still ultimately attracted to that person, but you're not. But I tried hmm. to convince myself that's going on. But oh, then because I'm so I'm social second, right? So there's the bond and there's the friendship and there's the story, the, the history we've built. Well, can, I, I'm, I'm interested by this uh, thing about like trying to talk yourself into attraction and sort of it sounds like a battle between the mental center and the heart center and the instinct. And and what what like I have a I have a friend who's a sexual seven, and one of the things I've gleaned from just getting to know him 
is that a lot of the, like the romantic partners are sort of seen like almost in an idealized way even if it's like they're dark like even if it sounds negative it's sort of like they're there's a view of them as sort of like the portal to a like a mysterious world or like a character mm. that like leads you into a more fascinating story or like getting off on what a character caricature or a character that a that a, a romantic partner might present as do you do, does that resonate yes a lot and what i do like with the like the attractions that i might feel for other guys is like oh i rationalize oh no but he's not so good in this this and that you know no he's not a guy you know like i start seeing flaws in the person you know but it just to justify that it's better to remain with that one and so the partner is idealized and the others are like no not as good as the other one so I, that's what helps me forget you so know and, and stick to that one so when you're in a committed relationship it's like the imagination is what keeps you're idealizing that partner as like this is the one and and everyone else is flawed but person i'm with is is like an idealized um animated character in your mind is that what's going on no not really because you know if if the guy's really a jerk i'm not I, i've had good boyfriends overall you know okay i've had i've had good partners so no so it's not it's that not if they're I... if they're a bad boyfriend you could still be real about that or is it that your imagination would keep you there longer than you normally would No, have? it only happened once with a bad boyfriend. I was really young and he was really uh, manipulative and he did a great job into manipulating me. So I really think I was like really inexperienced and I was really in love. But with all the others, I just, it was just really like this component of um, exchange going on. Like it's a, it's alive. A relationship is something, it's alive. Yeah, it's not dead. It's not like just my imagination, you know. That's interesting. There's kind of, there is kind of a life infusion, infusion theme, I think, with Seven. Like you're anti-death, <laughs> if that makes sense, mm -hmm. with Seven. You're wanting to mm -hmm. pump, pump things with life in some certain way. It's very abstract, but. Yeah, that makes it, sense. I love that. I think that, that one of the, like, great qualities of seven at their best is just like vitality mm -hmm. like just this source of vitality yeah to kind of uh put a dark spin on that um <laughs> <laughs> david you use an analogy when you're kind of doing like an explanation of the types at least with certain types of the cycles of the sun mm -hmm. and and when you explain that i kind of put uh you kind of put seven as like the setting sun and in my mind, it always kind of means like they're very aware that there's an end and they don't want that end to happen. Like and they the colors see the are sun beautiful. setting. Yeah, the colors are beautiful and they want it to stay that way. And they see the sun setting and it's like, oh my God, that can't happen. Kind of a, yeah. The, like we have the, to pump life back into this day. <laughs> yeah. The sunny, the sunny optimism is on its way out. So I need to, and it's yeah. beautiful and colorful and it's, it's, more colorful at that time of day mm -hmm. and yeah and but it's going away mm -hmm. so it's getting more attractive but it's going away so mm -hmm. there's a frustration piece right there this gets on i wanted to ask about time and death because mm. uh you know picking up on what y'all were speaking to earlier about like when i asked about guilt uh <laughs> i can't remember if it was colleen or fernando but brought up feeling guilty that i'm spending my time and energy here but not here and uh, I think sevens really feel the ticking of time really intensely. So how do, how's your experience of time and cramming things in or like limiting experience and all that kind of stuff feel? Yeah, I feel that time passes faster through me. I think that sense of time thing is a pretty deeply unconscious thing, generally. You know, you don't realize that when you've got a faster timeline, right? Oh, you do realize because of the response of others. You, you, you compare, True. right? True. You see... That's when you realize. When you're dealing with a nine, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It takes all day to say a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that with how time is experienced, there's also a sense of like, is this it? Like, is that all I get? You know, yeah. have I, have I gotten there yet? Have I like done it yet? Like, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of like pressure to kind of like make the most of the, time that you have and if you don't do like the things that you 
you know, hope to do or dream of doing, then there's like a great sense of loss. Yeah, I can even relate to that as uh, having a seven wing. I just feel like um, there's always a sense of there's a lot of different things that I could do. And choosing one thing means that I have to say no to a lot of other things. So that's one thing about sevens that I, I relate to is that there's not enough time to squeeze out of life all the things that you could be doing, all the interesting things that you could be doing. So is there is there a lot of mourning for things that are unable to be actualized? I avoid thinking about that. I think there is for me. Like I, I probably spend too much time thinking about like things that I won't be able to do that I would like to do or things that are like out of my reach or unavailable to me. I spend probably a lot of time thinking about that. I think it's interesting uh, throughout this call that I sometimes forget that seven's a head type for some reason, <laughs> um, because I feel like head types are, are, well, no, I feel like sevens are often portrayed as this like stereotypical kind of airhead, um, which is, is not true. Sevens can be just as smart as any other type. Um, you hear so- that? <laughs> as smart as any, any other, other type, Colleen. <laughs> <laughs> um so they've got elon musk to, to look up to <laughs> uh, there are better ways to say that but you get what i'm saying <laughs> it's intellectual as any other type but it's throughout this call you guys have said you know like living in your head um is sometimes better than living in the real world and you're thinking about mourning about these these lost um options but it's just it's just interesting how much time a seven spends in their head when yep. I feel like a lot of times we see sevens as living life to the fullest, but really it's in their head a lot. There's a lot of imagination in mm-hmm. the head. Yeah. Yeah. Like how do you experience yourselves? Because like like as Nancy's saying, there's a lot of outward people experiencing sevens as action oriented. But where do you feel like the locus of your attention is generally on? what I can do next or should do next, whether that's like, like specifically in the day or like more broadly with my life. So like right now, uh, are you thinking about what you're going to do when you get out the call? I'm actually not right now, but, but I've had, I've actually had the sensation of like doing something and then thinking about wanting to do it, like as I'm doing it, <laughs> which I think is like, whoa, <laughs> really, really, that's a, a trip. really, really like head typey, like seven thing to do. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're, hiking and then you're thinking about like the next hike that you're going to go on and like being excited about that or whatever it is with me i I really have this thing of i want to get things done you know Mm -hmm. it's not it's not really just like in my head and okay fine it's in my head when it's not possible to translate Mm -hmm. it into action i think i'm very assertive and i i I really believe i i don't know i might be wrong but i really put a lot of energy in putting in making things happen you know, I'm really proactive, I, I think. That's a difference there in, in uh, gut fixes, too, between mm-hmm. nine and one right there. Yeah. What advice would you give yourself that was 10 years younger or 15 Get years one. younger? Mm-hmm. What, would you, what would you say to yourself to help yourself? I, I mean, I don't really have anything because I feel like I just kind of like, like weather the experiences and then make sense of it later. But I don't know. I don't know. You wouldn't tell yourself your 10, your 15 year younger self some advice to to help you feel better, be better. She's done everything. She doesn't need advice. That's got to be. You'll get over it, kid. That's got to be a sevenism (laughs) right there. (laughs) You wouldn't tell. Everything's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing that came into my head was just say, like, everything's going to work out. Like, it's all fine. Wow. There you go. <laughs> Positive reframe. Uh, well, well, with me, I think it would be, but advice never helps, right? It's very yeah. useless, but I would be ready to be more patient with myself, with my process and with others, you know? question I had for the sevens is, when are we going to get together and party? <laughs> <laughs> now. <laughs> All right. I don't know if this is... I don't know if this is, these are the sevens that we want. They oh, okay. <laughs> we might need to interview a few more sevens for that. Yeah. Right, we need some seven wing eights up in here. I'm, I'm already thinking 
I'm already thinking about the next sevens we're going to interview. <laughs> yeah, like these no. are the I've been thinking about need. that the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> too, too proper and too self-critical. Oh, we are, we are so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> give, give me the You're stereotypical sevens. Them. Thank you very much. I don't much. care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Everything's fine. I just want you guys to know that this call was a failure. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Made us feel bad. Okay, we're not fine. Absolutely boring. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing oh, no. interesting happened. No, don't be your head. I didn't learn anything. Is nothing. Just blah. nothing. Yeah, don't cry. Just don't cry. Fun. As long as you don't cry, I'll be fine. I'm in pain. I am in pain. No. The sun is the sun is setting. It's getting dark. Oh, it's already dark here. I don't know. I didn't think this would be the most boring call that we have. It just it just feels like oh. it, it feels it feels like my body is just like encased in cement and I can't go anywhere and there's food around me that I can't eat. Uh, no that's, options. That's pretty you normal. No for options. John, no options. Yeah, that's, that's like my Saturday night. You guys single-handedly killed our podcast. <laughs> you know, I think that um, sevens they run away from themselves even more than nines, right? Because the podcast with nines, they were so excited to say everything. They were so invested, and yeah. me and her, we are like, yeah. uh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, really, that's a really good point. I that really, that's a really good point. point. Yeah. yeah. The definite sense of individuality is part of it, right? Oh yeah, they're self-referencing oh, yeah. versus other referencing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think your point about how nines were like so forthcoming and self-revealing, and we did three fucking calls on it. You know, it was like <laughs> all. The, whereas, whereas the seventh thing, not that y'all are not revealing, but there's a little bit more like, well, this is how it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this is what's up. This is how it goes. This is how I feel about it. Yeah, the nine nine calls a real good contrast. Where it was like, here are all the textures of every little impression in the senses and the way it enters my body and goes mm-hmm. through this long elaborate sort of contraption process to get to somewhere else and yeah so very interesting it's seen versus not seen like the seven is just out there being seen right generally speaking the major themes of this podcast is shitting on nines <laughs> <laughs> as we make them great again yeah <laughs> anyway well uh thank you sevens for being here yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was we did fun. Have fun. We, we had no, you fun. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we had very limited <laughs> amounts of fun. <laughs> yeah, I was disappointed. <laughs> I was frustrated. <laughs> well, I started feeling restless when you guys started talking about nines. Yeah, so. I figured that yeah. was coming. <laughs> Far more interesting oh, yeah. time to discuss than. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Bye. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.